Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles to Second Chronicles, we'll begin in just a few minutes at the 26th chapter. And uh, we'll be moving around a little bit tonight, working our way back to Isaiah. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful song service. Uh, definitely, I know that my Redeemer lives. And as we study Isaiah tonight, that was... A big part of Isaiah's life, he lived for the Messiah, even though it would be hundreds of years into the future, he lived for that Messiah to come. And what a beautiful thought that all of us ought to have in our heart is to live for our Redeemer. Uh, We were blessed this past week. Uh, Students from Good Pasture had a food drive, and then they donated several hundred pounds of food uh, to us, Ben Coles and Brad Rose and Sidney Mitten. They brought that food by the other day, and... I don't know. It was a, a whole pickup loaded, stacked with canned goods. I would guess it was probably 700 to 1,000 pounds of, of food. And we appreciate their generosity and we appreciate them uh, thinking of us. Uh, as far as we know, we are the only church in Mount Juliet and the only, uh, I know we're not a civic organization, but I'm saying there's no civic organization or church that gives out food in Mount Juliet that we know of now. And so since the Help Center has closed down, our request for food has shot up tremendously. And so uh, you giving generously to the pantry is definitely a good thing. It's especially a needed thing now. And we appreciate those canned items. That will be a tremendous help. But continually look in the bulletin of whatever the, the needed items are because our uh, needs have increased significantly in the last few months. It was wonderful last Sunday evening to see our young men leading the service. What an encouragement that was. What a tremendous job that they did. We appreciate them. I know also that Stephen Searcy led the devotional, uh, the Bible study during the week. We appreciate his willingness to do that. It's wonderful to have young people that love God and serve God where they are today. We want them to serve God in the future, but we want them to serve God today. And it's awesome to see uh, our young people doing that. As we think about Isaiah, you'll notice there on the screen the phrases, firm in faith, sure in God. This is the way one scholar described Isaiah. Now I want you to think for just a moment. If someone was to study your life in depth, if someone looked at what you talked about and what you wrote about and what you lived for and how you lived your life and what you encouraged other people to do and what you were and what you encouraged other people to be, What would be the summary of your life? Isn't that awesome that someone can study the life of Isaiah and they can sum it up in this? He was a man that was firm in faith. And he was a man sure in God. You expected Isaiah to be faithful. You expected to be able to find him with God. Wherever God stood, Isaiah was going to stand also. He was one that wanted others to know that firm faith and develop that in their life. He wanted others, especially Judah was the southern kingdom that he prophesied to. He wanted them to make their stand with God. Now, as we stood back a few years ago and we watched within our own nation planes fly into buildings, it brought a feeling about us of great concern for our safety and for our well-being and etc. Can you imagine during Isaiah's prophecy, during his ministry... He was watching the northern kingdom being destroyed by the Assyrians. It was very real that God did not protect nations that left Him. 
And you can imagine the passion that moved and stirred within him as he watched a nation being destroyed because they wouldn't follow God. And now he's making his plea to the southern kingdom, realizing that if the southern kingdom doesn't follow God, the same demise would be theirs also. And so you can imagine how he was stirred. I hope that over several of the Sunday nights, maybe not all of them in a row, but over several of the Sunday nights in in January and even February, that we'll look at different lessons out of Isaiah. And so to lay the stage for that, I would like for us tonight to concentrate not really on the book of Isaiah and not many of the, the details of his teaching and of his ministry. But tonight I'd like for us to spend just a few minutes looking at Isaiah himself. When we see Isaiah, what we see about this man that was firm in the faith and he was sure in God, we see a man that was a writer. We think of him, of course, writing the book of Isaiah. But look with me, if you will, to 2 Chronicles, the 26th chapter. In 2 Chronicles, the 26th chapter, notice what is said in verse 22, as we have uh, near the end of Uzziah's life. And he says, Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from the first to the last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, wrote. Now, of course, we don't have that book recorded. But yet, he wrote that book. Now, some of you have thought about this many times, and others perhaps you'll say, I've never thought about that before, so we'll think about it briefly. Just because someone was an inspired writer of a certain book did not mean that everything they ever sat down to write was written by inspiration. And so we see a few books mentioned in the Bible that Isaiah wrote that were not written by inspiration, and so they're not recorded in the 66 books of the Bible. Here's an example of one. He served his prophecy, his time in ministry, during the reign of four kings. We go to the last king that he served during that time. Turn over just a few pages to the 32nd chapter. In the 32nd chapter, the death of Hezekiah. Notice how this is summed up in the 32nd chapter and in the 32nd verse. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness... Indeed, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, and in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So he had another writing, another book that he wrote about the kings of Judah and of Israel. Again, not recorded in our 66. What is this telling us? This is giving us insight to if we want to better understand the man Isaiah, we need to see him as a writer. He was one that apparently enjoyed writing, and he was one that did... Of course, a very, very good job at writing. As a matter of fact, people that are very well educated in literature say that his writings far surpass Shakespeare, Melton, and Homer. You see, he definitely was given a gift of God in writing. And when we consider the beautiful passages that make up the 66 chapters of Isaiah... We see a man that was blessed with the ability to use descriptive phrases to help us better see whatever the particular topic that he was writing on. So I hope that as we study over the next few months some things out of the book of Isaiah, that you'll appreciate the the beautiful way that he describes some very, very serious, serious things. He's quoted more than any other prophet in the New Testament. Let's consider some other fast facts about him, if you will. Look with me to John, the 12th chapter. And as we look to John, the 12th chapter, let's think about him being a prophet that enjoyed prophesying about the Messiah that is to come. 
In the 12th chapter, and we don't have it on the screen here where I'm going to start, but when we drop back earlier in the 12th chapter, we see beginning verse 12, we have Jesus in the triumphal entry into the city. And notice in 37, he says, But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Now, do you remember why John wrote the Gospel of John? Remember, late in the chap in the book of John, he tells us that he wrote so individuals would believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And so here we have that being discussed, whether or not they're going to believe in Jesus. And of all the ways that they could prove that Jesus really was the Messiah, was go back and see what some of the prophets, for example, Isaiah. What did he say about the, about the Messiah? And then note, Jesus fulfilled those things. And so notice as we begin reading in 38, And the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled which spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. Now here's especially why we're turning to this passage right now. Look at 41 that describes, this is John describing how Jesus is working in his life to prove that he's the Son of God. And John uses the prophecy of Isaiah and then summarizes in this way. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Friends, that's a tremendous thought. He lived seven to eight hundred years before Jesus ever came to this earth, but yet John says he could see the glory of God. And he wrote these passages, I'm sorry, not just the glory of God, but the glory of Jesus, glory of, of the Messiah coming to this earth. He lived, and his ministry was about getting people to look forward to the Messiah. And the Messiah's already come. And you and I live for the Messiah and to get people to look back and to see that Messiah that has come and that is resurrected and that is alive and that will come again. Again, I ask you, if someone described your life, how long would they have to talk about you before something came out about Jesus? How many times have we heard people say, you know, if you're around them very often, you'll know they're a Christian. They... They just naturally talk about Jesus. You know, if you're around them much, you'll hear them invite people to worship because Jesus is important to them and they want other people to know about Jesus. Friends, Isaiah lived his life for a Messiah that was to come hundreds of years into the future. You and I have such a greater understanding of the Messiah than even Isaiah had. Surely our love and appreciation for the Messiah ought to be even greater with the clarity of understanding that we can have. Let's think about a few more facts about Isaiah. His name means salvation of the Lord. Now, if we're going to take and apply that definition to Isaiah's life, it could say this. He's saying, the Lord is the source of salvation. That, that was the meaning of his name. His, his life, his, his name, his, his purpose in life was to tell people that the Lord was the Savior. What a beautiful description. It's a synonym also for, for Joshua and for Jesus. Now, as we think about just a few more fast facts, if you will, before we go back to the book of Isaiah... 
There's a lot of tradition that's been written about how Isaiah died. And let's make it real clear from the beginning of this. The Scriptures does not tell us how Isaiah died. But there's so much writing about it in the traditional sense that we just have a pretty good feeling that it probably was something as is described. Talmud says that he was nailed between two planks and that he was sawn asunder because he would not submit to the pagan decrees. Another writing of Josephus in the antiquity says that he was hiding in a hollow log and there they found him and they picked up the log and brought it out. And then the, the false prophets began to mock him. He did not shed a tear. He did not cry out except the words of the Holy Spirit as they took and began to saw that log in two with Him in it. We don't know for sure about those traditions, but we do know this. According to Scripture, it's not far-fetched that that could happen because if you'll note in Hebrews the 11th chapter, That great chapter of faith that talked about individuals that were willing to give their all for the Lord. You remember we talked this morning about an obedient faith that we would obey the Lord no matter what. And here's that great Hebrews the 11th chapter. And notice as we read verse 36 and 37. He says, Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were, here it is, sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. I love this phrase here. I don't think it's on the screen there. But notice 38, of whom the world was not worthy. Friends, the world wasn't worthy to hold such individuals of such great faith. Individuals that was willing to give so much. And so as the world tortured them and gave them up, there were angels to welcome them up and take them to a father that would reward such great faith. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of righteousness, the revelator said. He didn't say, I'm going to stop everyone from persecuting you. I'm going to make life on earth a heavenly place. He didn't say that. But he said to those that were enduring persecution, just stay faithful even through death and I'll reward you. And the book of Hebrews gives us insight to some deaths that individuals experienced that were horrific. But yet, they obeyed God at all costs. Friends, When we look through the Scriptures and we see individuals that that stand out, usually it's not because they began the walk with God. It's usually because they finished the walk with God. You know, this morning we were talking about Noah. I want to ask you a question that relates to that lesson and this lesson. If God gave you such a challenging command to build an ark, what would take the greatest measure of faith? To go out to the gopher tree and start cutting down the very first tree? I've heard some, probably scholars they were, I've heard them say that was probably one of the greatest acts of faith a human being has ever done, was when Noah went out and he sawed down the first tree. Now, I'm in no position to debate a scholar. 
But I will say this. I think he's wrong. You show me a Noah that's been working on an ark for a hundred years. And he's still getting up every morning when people are probably laughing at him and mocking him. And he's not seen a rain yet. And he's been doing this day in and day out, year in and year out, decade in and decade out. And he's still getting up and he's going to work for his God because he still has faith after all this time. That's a finisher. That's faithful. You have to love the tradition of Isaiah. A man that not only did a lot of great writings while he was alive, and a man that served so many people in the southern kingdom and various kings, but tradition says he wouldn't give up that faith to the very, very end. Let's think about two things about his life, and then the lesson is ours to think about. Look with me, if you will, as we go back to Isaiah, the fifth chapter. Isaiah, the fifth chapter. I'd like for you to think about a phrase that's found in the book of Isaiah. The phrase is, my people. And it's found 26 times at least in the book of Isaiah. Sometimes the M is is capitalized, meaning it's a quote from God saying, my people. Other times, it's and, and fewer, much fewer times, it's where Isaiah borrows the phrase from God. And these people, these southern kingdom that he's working with, he calls them my people also. And I'd like to read one of where he calls them his people, and then another time where he quotes God. To just note this simple fact, we're thinking about Isaiah tonight. We're thinking about a man who loved his nation. Now keep in mind, the nation was a connection to their spirituality. Uh, In in other words, it would be the same as you and I today talking about, I love the church. These are my people. These are my family. This is my family. And so as we think about that, let's look at just one place here. In Isaiah, we're looking at the fifth chapter, and notice verse 13. He says, Therefore my people have gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. You see, he's describing the pitiful condition of the southern kingdom at this time. The things that ought to be alive and thriving. The knowledge ought to be expanding, but it's not. The honorable men, they ought to be doing well and multiplying, but they're not. They're shrinking. They're thirsting to death. And, And who's doing this? Now, if you're connected with people that aren't doing very well, just be honest with yourself for a minute. Would you be tempted to say, those people aren't doing so well? Those people have left God. Those people are suffering. Or would you love the church enough to say, my people are hurting. My people are suffering. It's interesting how quickly we are to separate ourselves from people that aren't doing so well. I want to note this fact about Isaiah. Isaiah loved the people so much that he was willing to claim them. And still try, with all of his might, to beg them to come back to God. Note this for whatever relationship you're in. If you want to help people that are hurting, that are rebelling, and that are making bad mistakes in their life, you're not going to help them when you get a stiff arm attitude that says, You guys, you're doing this. But whenever you can say, my people. Fathers and heads of homes make terrible mistakes when they begin to speak about the mistakes and pointing the finger as if we're not one family anymore. Oh, we were one family when things were great. 
But now we're not one anymore if you're going to live like that. An eldership makes a terrible mistake whenever they begin to talk about struggling members as if it's us and them. Friends, you understand, I'm not talking about that that we enable people to sin or that we encourage the sinner to remain in sin. You understand we're not talking about that. But we are talking about a relationship that says, I love you and we're in this together and I want to do what I can do to help you. But now let's look at another passage, probably on the same opening. Look back to Isaiah, the third chapter, and and look at verse 15. And let's see a time that that Isaiah uses his same phrase, my people, except this time he's quoting the Father. And this is a time, if you look back earlier in the paragraph, beginning at verse 13 and 14, we see where uh, the religious leaders are dealing in a terrible fashion with the people. And that's going to lead us to our next point in just a moment. So I want to make that so it's in your mind. And, and so he talks about what the elders were doing, what the princes were doing, and how they were uh, eating up the vineyards and leaving the poor people to suffer. And so it's in this setting that we have verse 15, when he says, What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor? Says the Lord God of hosts. You see, those that should have been leaders and they should have been been growing and serving and nurturing God's people, they were actually, the leaders were the ones that were cutting the, the legs out and under the people that are already hurting. They were already poor. They were already famished. And those that had power were taking advantage of it. And God says to them, what are you doing to my people? This was the hurting that God still claimed as my people. But now as we take this and use this verse as a transition, notice the very next thought that we want to admire about Isaiah is that he did hate sin and he hated sham religion. You know, I I think sometimes that we see television shows where preachers get on and it sure looks like that in that show they're just taking advantage of people. They're begging for money. We've seen and heard the stories where, where people that are sick are invited to pay a thousand or five thousand dollars and come to a healing service and, and uh, the uh, religious organization or, or the particular minister, preacher takes their money and the person leaves there in the same physical condition that they came. And we say, I can't believe how times have gotten. This must be an all-time low where, where so many people are using religion to take advantage of people. Friends, it is a shame, but it's not new. That was one of the things that stirred the passion of Isaiah. He hated to see that kind of relationship in the lives of the religious leaders that they would do that. So as we think about the sin in their life and and the way they were corrupt... The first chapter in verse 4 sums this up, and we don't have time to to heavily develop this, so I'd like for you just to note, there are seven phrases here. In the original writing, the first uh, four phrases do not have verbs in them. It's just describing the people, and it goes from talking about a nation down to just an individual. And then he uses three phrases to describe what those individuals have done. So notice this how it unfolds in verse 4. At last... Sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood, or some of your translations probably say offspring or seed, a offspring of evildoers, children who are corruptors. You see how he moves from a nation down to people, down to offspring, to very the children. 
And you see how he describes the wickedness and the sinfulness, the point that they're corrupting and corrupting others also. How does this happen? How does a nation that's supposed to be God's people move to this kind of description? Notice these three things. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. All three phrases describe one thing. Apostasy. They left God. And when they left God, they hurt God. Stirred up God's anger. They've turned backward. Left the very direction that they should have been traveling. What's the point? This is the beginning of a long book where Isaiah tells some beautiful prophecy about the Messiah. But he also does some serious pleading, urging the people to stop sinning. Urging the leaders to step up and be leaders that nurture, not leaders that tear the people down further. I'd like to read to you a quote as we close this evening from Edward J. Young. He has a three-volume set of the book of Isaiah. And reading this week, I, I couldn't help but notice this as I thought about Isaiah as a prophet, one that spoke the message of God. It's a challenge to all of us that are preachers and teachers, but it's also a challenge to the whole church. What are you looking for in someone that teaches and preaches? And notice what this summary is as he wrote about Isaiah. There can be no greater mistake than to minimize the sinful condition of mankind in our Christian preaching and activity. We make a terrible mistake when we're not willing to talk about and study about the condition that we are in. Friends, if I have sin in my life, I need to study about what God says about that. If we as a church family have issues that we're dealing with, we don't need preachers and teachers and an eldership that ducks around the topic and tries to avoid it so everybody will stay happy. God's Word was meant to heal us of our sin, not to ignore it. It's meant to address sin, not to run from it. And I know that we need a balance of preaching. We need to talk about the good and the positive, but we also need to talk about the sin and the negative. And I hope that you and I will always be a people, a people that wants the whole message of God. Let's call righteousness righteousness. Let's call sin sin. Remember one of those great lessons we had this very place last Sunday night? Remember, it was the same book. Remember, it was Isaiah, the fifth chapter. And you remember he talked about calling good bad and bad good. That's what Isaiah, that's what he wanted to fight against in his ministry. Let's call sin, sin. And let's talk about the great Messiah. Let's turn away from the sin. And let's look for that Messiah. Friend, that Messiah is coming back again. 
Let's turn away from sin and let's look for His return. Let's be prepared. Let's be ready. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, won't you do that tonight? Or if you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way, you've lost the way. You've lost the focus. And you would have to honestly say right now, I'm not ready to meet my Lord. Friends, He's coming back again. And why not be ready tonight? If you need to repent of sins and confess before 